You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Now, to me, when I want to learn something, there is no better resource than a case study. Now, in sports, it may be a matter of watching game footage. For example, you're playing football or soccer or whatever it happens to be, and after a game, you're going to go back and watch the recording so that you can see what you did well, what you didn't do well, what your opponents did for better and for worse, et cetera, and what you can learn from that. And so the fact is that, and of course, I always use my own videos if I'm on stage someplace or if I have a television opportunity, et cetera, I'll watch the game footage, so to speak, to see, okay, where was I most effective? Where could I have been more effective? And what can I learn from this so that I'm better next time. It's always about staying at the top of your game. And the only way to do that is to look at the footage. So a lot of you know that in the past, in 2016 and in 2020, I was doing a lot of apolitical analyses of the presidential election cycle debates, the conventions, whether the DNC, the RNC, etc. And I specify, of course, that it is apolitical. I don't take sides. I don't care who did something well or not in the moment. The purpose of my analyses is that regardless of who you would vote for or otherwise prefer to cut off a limb rather than vote for somebody, that's totally up to you. The goal of the analyses for me was to objectively watch both candidates, like you're watching game footage, and see who did what effectively or ineffectively, as the case may be, with regard to communication who used great words, who had good phrasing, whose body language, whose voice, what did they do that helped them rise in their immediate presence and in their credibility, their likability, their other, whatever qualities they're looking for, and who did what, when that otherwise detracted from that success, because it's always the needle moving up and down, right? But most importantly, in looking at those things, the underlying question is always, what can I learn from them? What can I teach as a result of that? What can we individually or collectively learn from their experiences, from their performance as a real life case study and decide whether or not we like the person is irrelevant, but what can we learn from those moments to apply in our own lives, right? You, you don't like your opponent in football or in soccer or whatever sport it is, but you can certainly learn from them and say, oh, that was a great strategy. That was a great play. That was a great technique that they used. That was a great, whatever it was, I want to use that next time to help me succeed. And that's exactly what I do in the debate analysis. So this year, now, of course, it is not a presidential election. This is midterm cycle. So there's just way too many doggone debates going on to keep count of. But there is one debate that is coming up tonight, as a matter of fact, that I am going to keep my eye on that I did want to use as a great momentary singular case study for us all to look at. And it's specifically the Pennsylvania Senate seat that's become available. Now, of course, I'm currently living in Pennsylvania, so it's more relevant to me anyway. There's only one debate coming up. It's on a series of debates. 
and it is to see who's going to fill the spot of Republican Senator Pat Toomey because he's done with his terms, et cetera. So now officially there is no incumbent running. The candidates in particular, I think, are kind of interesting. And what I want to do right now with you is to share just what I will be looking for in tonight's debate and to give you ideas of what you can start to look for in your own candidates for whatever elections may be relevant to you or watch anybody else's candidates for that matter. I don't care. Is this going to help you decide who to vote for? I don't know. I don't care. Maybe. That's not my job. That's not my point. The question is, by looking at these things, how can I help you to ascertain what are some great tips to utilize or steps to avoid, for that matter, pitfalls to avoid, as lessons in leadership communication? Because that's all I'm interested in. Hopefully, you guys know me well enough to know that by now. So, okay, what's interesting about the Pennsylvania candidates and why am I looking forward to seeing their debate tonight? In particular, aside from the fact that, yes, they're on my state ballot. The two candidates are John Fetterman, who is the current lieutenant governor. So this is a relatively traditional sequence of events for him or next step in likely job promotions or, or opportunities, as it were. John Fetterman is a Democrat. And his Republican opponent is Dr. Mehmet Oz, otherwise known as Dr. Oz of TV fame, got his original start back in the 80s as Oprah Winfrey's go-to medical resource when she wanted a doctor's take on the show. So a slightly less traditional role, although he's now more of a celebrity personality for most people who do know his television shows. But I think even though that's a less traditional trajectory to an elected position, we're kind of used to it by now. You know, started with Ronald Reagan back in the 80s. And then, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor of California, even, uh, quote unquote, Jesse the Body Ventura, who was from 80s wrestling fame and then went on to become governor of Minnesota. And of course, most recently, Donald Trump coming from all of his apprentice work, et cetera, and business in New York and elsewhere to the White House in the last cycle, 2016. Now, what's important for me from a communications perspective and creates a very unique context this time around is that about six months ago in May, John Fetterman suffered a stroke. Now, that's terrible. And we, of course, want everyone to be healthy and we hope he has recovered fully. It was right before he got the nomination. But what is interesting this time around is that while he has otherwise, apparently, according to his doctors, fully recovered, there is still a little bit of an impact on his communication in two areas in particular. Number one, in his auditory processing, which means that while he can hear fine, it's not like he's hard of hearing or something, but it's that the brain doesn't necessarily process exactly the fullest message entirety of the words. Now, you could arguably say that doesn't everybody have that challenge? I mean, most of you can probably name a couple of family members who have that challenge who don't seem to understand what you're saying. And we certainly all have those moments in our lives. And or you could argue that all politicians almost need that as a job requirement to be lousy listeners. It seems like for the jaded among us, that might be the approach or the, the perspective. But nevertheless, it is a little bit of a challenge for him in listening comprehension so that what he uses as a result to help him to compensate for that is closed captioning. He has a device that will help him read transcripts in real time as he's listening. And frankly, this is a common device used for some other people on Capitol Hill, whether they're congressional aides or others who have whatever challenges, but they have devices to enable them to compensate for those challenges of whatever sort to be able to otherwise fully functionally execute the rest of their job. 
then uh, on the other side is, of course, with regard to speech production, he will occasionally still search for words, stumble over words, or use a wrong word. Again, yes, we all have that in one way, shape, or form. We all have those moments. But for him, is it more than for others and or does it greater impact his ability to conduct the duties as necessary if he were to be elected as senator? This is naturally something that his opponents will do his best to exacerbate or otherwise draw attention to in the debate and has been certainly part of the campaign so far. So that's not just looking at, okay, can he speak tonight? But that leads us to a couple of really important things that I'm going to be looking for with regard to both candidates. Recall that everything I teach stems from the cornerstone of the notion that leadership overall is an image, regardless of your role, regardless of your title. It is an image. And people have to see you as a leader that they would trust, who they would voluntarily follow, and if they're going to, in this case, pull the lever and vote for you. But in any other role, similarly. So the question then becomes, what qualities do they need to see in you to be able to come to the conclusion that, yes, you are what they consider to be a leader? So the qualities that you're looking for, whether it's that I need to be confident, I need to be relatable, I need to be authoritative, I need to be approachable, I need to be, you know, you fill in whatever blanks you want there, whatever qualities are most important to you, but realize that they are all subjective interpretations. What looks confident to one person sounds arrogant to another. What looks approachable to one person looks sloppy and too casual to another. What sounds crystal clear to one person sounds like mud to another. So we have to make sure that when we are talking, what they're going to do in order to come to those conclusions on their own to subjectively decide if we're projecting those qualities is they're going to unconsciously analyze what we say and what we do, otherwise known as our objective behaviors. And that's through three channels in how we communicate, the verbal, vocal, and visual channel. In other words, the words that we use, the sound of our voice, as we're saying those words, and our body language or our physical communication. And that includes how we're groomed, how we're dressed, our facial expressions, all that kind of stuff. And it's the alignment in those qualities or how congruent we are in our words, voice, and body language. That's what will create the qualities that we want or otherwise undermine them if we are not in alignment. If what we say and how we say it don't match, that casts doubt in the mind of the listener, and that's where your credibility is undermined, your image suffers, and so do your results. Now, what does that have to do with tonight? Okay, my guess is that Fetterman, having undergone, you know, having dealt with the stroke and now having to answer questions constantly by others about whether or not he's fit, whether or not he's capable of doing it, and everything we just discussed— I think three of the main qualities that he's going to have to project to the audience is first and foremost, competence on showing that he is mentally competent, showing that he is able to do the work and showing that he can understand everything that's necessary and articulate what needs to be said. Number two, he needs to come across as relatable. And number three, he needs to come across as trustworthy. And I think, of course, to an extent, all politicians and all leaders always need to show all of these qualities, but I think these are going to be at the top of his list this time around. So where does that fall into place with the words, the voice, and the body language? Well, from the verbal, number one is the importance of coming up with the right words. This is not just about being accurate in the statements and ensuring that he's not tripping over his own words too much as he's stating them, but 
he needs to be able to clearly and simply dismiss any concerns or any questions with regard to his ability to take on the duties of the Senate seat and dismiss any concerns that he's otherwise not fit for election, not fit for the role. So to be able to dismiss those concerns, what will he have to say? What words will he need to use, clear, concise, direct, et cetera, to help people dismiss them and decide, okay, we don't need to worry about this anymore. Let's move on. And of course, he'll have to be equally accurate when we do finally move on from that, the topic of his health onto other policy-related issues. He'll need to be equally clear, concise, direct, et cetera, in talking about that and make sure people understand where he stands to the extent that any politician ever actually answers those questions. But again, jaded whatever cynicism aside, he will also have to, I believe, draw analogies. And not just to what he wants to build and create in the Senate, but with regard to his health, to draw analogies to other people who are in whatever roles on Capitol Hill or in business or in your family who perhaps have undergone a stroke and recovered, or who are using other assistive devices to help compensate for whatever physical disability challenge, whatever term you prefer, whatever they've got, as long as they've got this device, whether it's a hearing aid, whether it's the prompters, and as far as the closed caption reading devices, or anything else that helps to compensate for what the body itself can't do to just help you see like, oh yeah, I get that. Yeah, no, that really is something that you know, my cousin John needs or my Aunt Martha or whoever it is. And to help you feel like you understand him, that you connect with him, and that you can relate. That if you don't want someone to project the concept of disability onto you or your family, your friends, then we wouldn't need to or want to do it to him either. So to be able to draw analogies is going to be really important for him. Similarly, with his voice, now in whatever it is he's saying, fluency, fluidity, is going to be super important because if the whole question is that a symptom, a visible auditory symptom of a stroke is that chopped speech, is that stumbling, looking for words, trying to find the word that's not coming to you. Again, we all have that. That is certainly relatable, but is it something that would impede his ability to do the job and or does it create an image that undermines authority, that undermines mental competency? of sorts. Again, total image, total interpretation. So we'll need to make sure that he sounds smooth, because if he does, that'll immediately dispel any concerns. And he also needs to be careful not to come across as defensive. Because if he comes across as defensive, it'll sound like his opponent has him on his heels, and that's a display of weakness. So he needs to not let it seem like his opponent has him off balance. And it's hard when someone's pushing your buttons to not take the bait. But if he can come across as just very matter-of-fact, very assured of himself, uh, then in the sound of his voice can be strong, can be sturdy, can be confident, can be declarative, then that will also help reassure the population. Now, visual is kind of interesting because typically, just about everybody I think I've ever seen in a debate, in any sort of political leadership role, the natural uniform is a suit male or female for that matter. <laughs> but if you've ever seen Fetterman on video in the last six months at the very least, if not before that, you'll realize his standard uniform, so to speak, is a hoodie and gym shorts. So this is not the standard. He's definitely bucking the system, going against the grain, or uh, certainly showing his own individual flavor, shall we say. 
what will he wear tonight? I'll be interested to see, does he dress in that or does he wear a suit and conform, so to speak, for the context? And then if he does either way, what impact will that have on how people perceive him? Does that help him come across as more confident saying, I don't need this dumb nonsense of a necktie and a blazer and whatever else. This is me. This is who you're going to get. We certainly got a lot of that. This is me. I'm not the traditional cookie cutter politician in several of the last cycles. Donald Trump certainly did that as well. And not drawing other analogies, simply that that's something people liked, that he was not traditional establishment and a hoodie and shorts would also add to that flavor of not being completely sold into establishment thought. And some people may like that. They may relate to it better, or it could otherwise undermine him. And people will say, he doesn't even take this seriously. What is he thinking to dress that way? So depending on what he says, we have to take that into account. Does whatever he's wearing reinforce the authority and or the relatability or something else that he's stating? Or does it seem in contrast, kind of incongruous? If so, that could detract it. All of this is totally subjective, may look great to one person, look not great to another, but ask yourself the questions. All right, flipping it around. Let's talk about Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz. Now, I think for him, the top three qualities that he's going to need to project are the ability to come across as authoritative, as empathetic, and as likable. Now, authority, of course, is going to be on two fronts. Number one, from a political standpoint, is he an authority on the issues? But also, he's going to play into the fact that as a heart surgeon, which is his background, there aren't many people more qualified to speculate as to his opponent's ability, his fitness, to take on the role. And of course, to question it and to challenge it. So he'll have that in his pocket. But the question then, from the verbal perspective in particular, is can he find the balance? Because he's going to have to address that challenge from a very diplomatic angle. And that is with regard both to the quantity that he talks about this and offers more evidence or speculation or whatever it is, and the quality of the comments that he makes. Because there is a point at which it comes to beating a dead horse, or as the expression goes, or otherwise bullying and just hammering that point. So he needs to come across as not a bully, but as someone who has empathy, not just to his opponent, who's undergone the misfortune, uh, to say the least, of a stroke, but to the listening audience. Because if you bully your opponent who has this physical disability, are you by proxy bullying or condoning bullying or bias against anyone else out there who has some corresponding or otherwise parallel kind of personal physical challenge? So, it's going to be really important that he stay far away from the bullying perspective and that he show empathy as a person, as a physician, and as a candidate here, because you want someone to represent you who empathizes with you and thus will support you and provide what you need. Vocally, that's going to come across in a couple of things. One is it can't sound snarky or condescending. Whenever he's talking to or about his opponent's ability and fitness, he can't come across as a know-it-all. He can't come across as dismissive. The sound of his voice has to be firm and authoritative, but otherwise not harsh and 
there needs to be a smoothness to that as well. Because if he gets too determined to prove that this guy is not capable, not ready, that's going to go into bullying territory. It's like, okay, enough. Let's focus on something else now. And that's going to follow the same with regard to the visual and his body language. Now, Dr. Oz is a multi-decade, 30 years now, probably, veteran of the television, ever since Oprah knighted him effectively in her show. So he's got the TV charm. He's got the TV personality. So the question will be whether or not he's able to pull it out at the right times, because, of course, Fetterman's not going to just sit there on the defensive the entire night talking about his post-stroke rehabilitation recovery, he's going to go on the offensive plenty and they're going to talk about other platforms and other issues, policy topics, et cetera, which we hope is going to be the majority of the conversation. But can he do that? Can the facial expressions match the content, match the topic? Or will he stick to kind of a one note angle and energy from topic to topic, whether we're talking about his opponents or talking about his platform? So what I'm going to encourage you to look for tonight, if you are going to be watching the Oz Fetterman debate, or if you catch this episode a little bit later or you don't have time, I'm sure the recording will be available on 4,000 different YouTube channels and other websites. So here's what I'm going to recommend that you look for tonight in this particular episode. And frankly, if you choose to watch any other debates for your state or any other ones that are of interest to you, as you're looking, you're going to project yourself into those roles. And you're going to ask yourself, when I'm talking to someone else, when I'm trying to debate an issue, when I'm trying to persuade someone, when I'm trying to have influence, what qualities do I need to project to whom? What qualities do I need that person to believe that I possess? And I don't mean believe in the fake sense, like, haha, trick them. No, what do you need them to recognize that you do actively possess? Is it confidence? Is it passion? Is it compassion? Is it approachability? Is it seriousness? Is it fun? What combination of those? And then once you've identified what those qualities are that you need that person to decide who, who needs to see those qualities in you, then ask yourself, what do those qualities look and sound like in that person's perception, in their perspective? That's what I will be doing. That's what I will be looking for tonight. And then tomorrow, I will post my analysis. I'll answer these questions for myself and I'll post them both in my blog on my website at vocalimpactproductions.com. And I will also be posting them on my LinkedIn channel. So feel free to look me up on LinkedIn on Dr. Laura Sokola and look in the posts and activities. There'll be an article there that I will share my breakdown of these topics. And who knows, maybe I'll be totally wrong. They won't talk about that at all. I'll be shocked if they don't talk about that. But nevertheless, I think there'll be plenty of opportunity to see where they do or don't meet these expectations and why. So with that, I hope if, even if you're somebody who generally hates politics or doesn't tend to watch debates, tune in this time. Just, again, if it has nothing to do with who you'd vote for, it doesn't matter. It's a live case study. This is the game tape footage. And what better opportunity to learn from than somebody else's? So there's nothing at stake for you. You have no risk. It's not about watching like what mistakes you made one way or another. Nobody likes to watch themselves on video, no matter how often we have to do it. But just watch them learn from someone else's successes. What did they do well? And decide, great, that was really effective how he did that. I'll try to find a way to use that in my own communication. Or where did they step in it? 
Where did they make a huge gaffe? Where were they out of alignment in their words, their voice, and their body language? And what does that tell me that I need to do and how and where and when so as not to be out of alignment and not to undermine my own credibility when I'm trying to have influence in a conversation with somebody else? Again, whether you would vote for that person or sooner jump off a cliff is not the point. Have the objectivity to be able to take a step back and learn from everybody, to be the best, most influential, inspiring, and effective leader that you can be. So with that, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform that you like to listen to podcasts on so we can help even more people increase their confidence presence and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.